Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. Uh, there's going to be a mild spoiler warning associated with this episode, as I guess you can expect for all of the ones going forward uh, until Shadowlands drops, because we're getting a lot of Shadowlands questions. Uh, as well as the fact that we have another Afterlives to talk about. Uh, the Afterlives short for Revendreth came out this past week uh, and left us with uh, some much, uh, I don't want to say unexpected, uh, but information that I think some people did not see coming. So that's what we're going to start today with before we get into the questions that you have so graciously sent to us. And again, if you do have questions for the podcast or the queue, you be sure to send them in. Well, for the podcast, you can email them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, uh, as well as one of our wonderful chat channels in our Discord channel. Uh, we always check the patrons ones first uh, because we want to make sure that they get a little extra benefit for helping support us financially, uh, because without the support of our patrons, we couldn't do what we do here. Uh, but yeah, without without further ado, let's talk about that Revendreth short. Uh, I think the big thing about it was that it was presented, at least to me, in a way that felt almost like uh, Les Miserables. Uh, it was very French Revolution, very aristocracy versus everybody else type thing, uh, where uh, you basically look at the upper crust are living their, their best lives while all of the lowly peasants are like rationing and starving and uh, being forced to eke by. And it's being presented... Uh, basically as a dictation from, I think it's Sire Denothrius, uh, who doesn't look nearly as swole as he does in uh, the actual game, but uh, he's dictating a letter to the people or a proclamation to the people of Revendreth talking about how we're going to persevere and how everybody will have to tighten their belts. Uh, and it's basically this whole lead up to what actually sparks the, the revolution in Revendreth. Um and one of the things that I thought was interesting about it is it talks about how while there is this anima drought uh, because the souls have not been coming to Revendreth as they used to uh, and everybody has to tighten their belts and, and whatnot, uh, there are still their workhorses. And one of the workhorses, possibly the most important one that they show, is Garrosh Hellscream, who didn't go to the Maw as many people thought he would wind up going to the Maw. No, he wound up in Revendreth 
because he is still salvageable. Uh, he is still somebody who possibly his sins could be pulled out of. Uh, and, you know, he could be made to be maybe a Venthyr or pushed to another one of the, the lands afterwards. Uh, but I thought that was really cool and really interesting because we all, I mean, I don't know about, about you, Matt, but I kind of expected him to wind up in Revendreth because it seemed like the proper fit for him. I didn't think he was mawbound. Uh, but I thought that was really interesting. What did, what did you think of the short? Oh, it was a good short. Um, I actually found myself be, be having a discussion on Twitter afterwards. I'm starting to think nobody is supposed to go to the mall up front. That no nobody's sins are considered so bad that they don't at least get a shot of going someplace else. Like I, the way Revendreth seems to be set up. I mean, somebody was saying something effect of, oh, so Garage Hellscream, who committed these atrocities, who did this, who did that. He gets a shot in Revendreth, but you know, so how bad you have to be? Is Garage Hellscream like significantly better than Arthas? And up until Arthas picked up the Runeblade, I'd actually have to say, nah, Garage is way worse. It is actions, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, and well, actions are all we have to judge. Sure, exactly. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have anything else. We don't have the we don't um, have the way to weigh the soul that the arbiter can, apparently can. Yeah, and it's just interesting to think about the concept of it's. Is it possible that the maw is where they put people who flunk out of Revendreth? Is that where, if you if you aren't willing to let it go, if you aren't willing to be purified, if you aren't willing to have it stripped away from you, then they send you to the maw because that's the clearinghouse. That's it kind of fits into the idea that we've had for a while that the Maw is not necessarily a first stop. Well, not just, not just like the concept of the Maw itself is like, you know, is it a prison for one being that ended up as kind of a clearinghouse for a bunch of other bad things? Or is it the Maw itself is the problem? And that's why they needs to be a jailer there to, to, to imprison something about the Maw itself or about something native to it. I don't know. Like I said, I'm blue sky in here, but I do find it interesting to think about the concept that maybe nobody goes to the mall. At least not at first. Like, because that's yeah. why, why have all these other planes that like, you know, okay. If you, if you're, if you're, you know, if your soul is one that is, you know, been, been committed to serving others in life, you go to bastion. If you're like a, a powerful warrior, you end up in Maldraxxus, you know, and I, by I say powerful warrior, I don't mean the warrior class. I mean, you know, you're, you're in some way or another, you're a willful person who likes to fight. You go to Maldraxxus. If you're, you know, tainted and you require some kind of cleansing, you go to Revendreth. If you're, if your spirit is, is bound for the cycle of death and rebirth in some way, you go to Ardenwild. Ardenwield. Sorry. I was trying to say that my mouth kind of got weird, it happens. but the, the whole idea of that, you know, is that what this is? And we don't know. Uh, I did find it interesting to try and think of like who, who the other old reliables are, because think about what that requires. It requires you to be somebody who's committed relatively grievous acts, mm -hmm. but moreover, you need to be strong willed enough to refuse to surrender no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much they torture well, you. No matter how much they're like ripping the soul out of you, the, the anima, over and over again, you still won't yield. That's a unique person. It is. That, that, that's a rare personality trait. Um, we know Kael'thas is going to be showing up, so Kael'thas is clearly one of them. Although at this uh, point he's a Venthyr. 
right? Like he's been when we no, when we encounter no. him, he's in the he's in the oh no, he's still got his sinstone, doesn't he? Yeah, he's no, he's still being tortured. Yeah. Uh, we and we now know Garage is one of them. I mean, who else? Who else makes that cut? Uh, I'm gonna say Admiral right now, Proudmore, that people, the original. Maybe, maybe I'm gonna just say this one though for people. Don't expect to see Varian Rin, because I don't even know if Varian Rin's soul survived what Gul'dan did to him. Yeah, that's a really good question because that was all fell, right? And yeah, fell, it's quite possible. Weird that, destruction. It's quite possible that Varian was utterly annihilated; that there's nothing left of him. Uh, that's not gr- a great thought, but at any rate, don't expect to see him. If we do, great. I would totally love to see him. But in terms of the like people who would, who would be suitable, old, reliables for this, uh, you know, Admiral Proudmore, maybe. Um, I certainly would think that he'd think that he was in the right. And that's a big seems to be a big part of what helps keep the old reliables old reliables, mm-hmm. so that they believe they were right. But that's that's one interesting aspect of this whole thing. Uh, yeah, I, I I remember while watching it, there's a, a brief scene of three figures, one of whom is very clearly a troll, and I've seen people argue back and forth on who that guy is. I I suggested possibly Zalazane or even Zul, uh, as as possibles. Someone tried to tell me it was Vol'jin. But we have Vol'jin as an entity that's and you can't outside argue, of that cycle. You can't argue that because we've got two Uthers. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We don't know if the process by which Uther got his soul ripped in half, or however many pieces it got ripped into, for that matter. We don't even know that. But I also don't think he would wind up as a, in Revendreth. It doesn't seem like a, a place where Vol'jin would go. That doesn't... Just because I don't believe that that's the case doesn't mean people didn't say it. Fair. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you what people told me. I'm just reacting uh, to that. That's all. I I still think it's probably most likely Zalazane or Zul. Those are the two trolls I can think of. Um, possibly Zuljin. Yeah, yeah. Um, it could be Zuljin. I mean, Zuljin. He. Uh, we we've killed him now twice, right? <laughs> and he went out, and he went out. You know, convinced he was right, and furious with the horde for betraying him. Yeah. I mean, and. I don't, you know, your your take on how accurate Zuljin was is your take. I don't, and I don't mean you specifically. I mean anybody, but I mean from just on paper, Zuljin basically joined up with the Horde, um, assisted them in their attack on on Silvermoon, and then the Horde joins up with Silvermoon, and lets the ancient enemies of of the Amani trolls in as a full member. That's probably, you know, Zuljin's perspective was pretty accurate. The Horde did betray him. While using his name, yeah. the Horde. Remember the original Revendreth trolls. Was that the name? Revendusk. The Revendreth troll, trolls. Jeez, uh, the Revendusk trolls were like all like you know big Zuljin supporters, and they joined the Horde because Zuljin had joined the Horde, and so the Horde was basically trading on his name for like twenty years. So he he probably does if he, if he if he's in Revendreth, it would make sense for Zuljin to be like. Really oh, mad. Oh yeah, he because he would never let go, right? Like that's something. No, he's he a personality. Out, what did he say? I cut off my own, I cut out my own eye to escape them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who I don't get how you know cut off my own arm to escape them, right? Because cutting out his eye didn't. They they took his eye. They took his eye. He took yeah, off his own they, arm. It was the silver. It was the silver moon elves, the uh, the blood elves, although they were the high elves at the time, who put out Zuljin's eye. Uh, he then cut off his own arm to escape them. That's when you see him. In Zulaman, he's only got one arm. 
because he cut the other one off and it didn't grow back. Uh, I guess he was probably thinking it would because uh, he's a troll, uh, but it didn't. It didn't work out that way. They'd probably beaten him up too bad and he couldn't quite grow it back. So yeah, Zuljin could definitely be one of those old reliables, somebody who just wouldn't let go, no matter how bad it got, no matter how many times they tortured him. In a way, I think the Revendreth process is interesting because it seems to be basically just torturing people in, until they like let go of their their sin of pride. It, and there are certain people for whom that would that process would not inherently work. Like they'd automatically. Like it would almost make them worse. Garrosh is definitely one of those cases. Garrosh Kin is a thinking, reasoning person. He can, in fact, come to a conclusion on his own. But if you try and force him, he'll never submit. It will just, in fact, convince him that he's right. The you more know, you do that to him, the more he's going to believe he's right. It's a feedback loop. And I wonder if those, if that's like part of the corruption in Revendreth, is the fact that they've come to recognize, hey. Some of these guys, if we, we can just keep them indefinitely. Yeah, we don't we have to have... we don't have to elevate them. We don't have to put them through the trial. We can just leave them locked away, which is how we see Garrosh at this point. Like he's yeah, he's, he's chained. In cell. He's in a cell. He's he's somewhere probably in the bowels of the castle. Right. And that just makes me wonder if that's like Okay, spoilers here, guys. Denathrius is working for the jailer. Yeah, we know that. Well, we've talked about that about. We were good yeah. the spoiler warning, so. So everything Denathrius says in this little missive, which to me didn't read anything like a French... Uh, it did, well, the French Revolution is perfectly accurate for it, like the, the pre-revolutionary period, but to me it felt more like a modern-day corporation hmm. sending out a memo to all of its employees about tightening your belts. It's like when McDonald's was issuing, like, you know, instead of paying their workers, they were issuing food cards to them that they could use to buy food. And then the food cart had a disc, had like a big surcharge on it, and it was basically trying to reopen the company stores. The company stores, store. yep. And that's the kind of stuff modern corporations do all the time. You know, it's it's just how they run. They they treat human beings like the grease they use to keep their wheels going. So I, I, that's how it felt to me. And, and since they're vampires, it's a very easy call to make. Um, they're dr literally draining the lifeblood out of people here. That's what they do. So. That that definitely had a, uh, I had a thought about that too, but I kept thinking, what if they, like Denathrius, before he got really involved with the jailer or whatever, what if he started realizing, hey, I don't actually have to, there's souls that I can keep indefinitely. If I just, if, when they're exposed to this process, they don't break down. They don't surrender their 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 pride and the anima inherent to it and and move on or become venthyr they get worse. Like they, they, they dig in their heels. They stay like this. And if I keep the torture up, I can keep them indefinitely until they break. Like if they finally, maybe they finally break and, and I don't have to send them on to the mall. I don't have to do anything. I can just keep them and they will be the quote unquote old reliables. I don't know if that's how that works. I, I, you know, this is all speculation, but it's something that came into my head while watching it was like, you know, this is a machine that's set up to purge people forcibly you know it's like people who are are like so bad that they're you know they they have to be like forcibly purged it's not like like we talked about the how the each realm has a different approach and maybe you want to talk about that some uh it, i don't know where to begin on that <laughs> well i mean if we look at how bastion is all about you know literally you you're the part of you that's important is the part of you that serves other people 
the service aspect of you yeah. is what they, they bastion. They don't, who you were in life is not important to them. Like they, to the point where, I mean, you're even expected to like, you know, abandon who you were and become a Kyrian. I mean, you don't, you don't look like your old self. Uther's rare in that. And we know that it's part of Uther's thing. For most people, you, you go to Bastion and who you were in life doesn't matter anymore. And aside from that service aspect, it's abandoned. Whereas go to Maldraxxus and you get to keep who you were. Same and Draka is still Draka. Yeah, but no, it's not the same. Draka is still Draka, but every aspect of Draka's former life might as well be meaningless. Sure. Like we don't, there's no, nothing of who Draka was in life is, is sustained, even to the point where they train her to be something she never was in life. Yeah, because she's the being question, trained as a rogue. Yeah, it's, it's well, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to actually say that she's picking up the character class of rogue, just that she is taking on that kind of stealthy spy-like mentality, which is not something she was in life. And that's, to them, it's just the will to conflict. It's it's very nature, it's it's almost like the opposite of Ardenweald in a way. It's the aspect of existence, which is a kind of continuous struggle. That's the thing they look for is the ability to, to fight, the ability to strive, to, to conquer, to do battle. That's the thing that they value. The rest of your life is meaningless and they don't even care enough to try and remove it from you. They don't care about it and they don't even care about taking it from you. Whereas in Bastion, they're like, well, no, you have to give all that up so you can be a pure servant of, of others. You, you have to you know, dedicate yourself to that aspect. In Maldraxxus, is like, whatever, here's a knife. Yeah, and Ardenweld, they let you keep everything that you are because, I mean, if you're part of that You're cycle, going back. Yeah. You're going back, or if you're not going back and you choose to stay in service, like, um, I can't remember the name of him, but he's another bear spirit. Um, you're you're there. You still get to mem- remember everything that happened. It's it's actually celebrated there. Like, Ardenweld is one of those things where, and I've talked about this before, one of the first things you do when you choose it as your covenant is you celebrate your life. And it's all of the things that you did, all of the major conflicts, all of the major major points that you, you hit with these events. Which is really interesting because if you go to Bastion, one of the first things they do is the exact same thing, but not as a celebration. It's Yeah, it's, it's like you're, you're flensing it from yourself. Almost. Not even cleansing it. They do it so they can figure out what, who you are, and what you've done. They, there's a whole thing where you go up to this, the this, mirrors, like, water yeah. thing, and they it starts showing off all the stuff. You know, oh, you fought the legion. Oh, okay, we understand. And it's not, it's it's not like a celebration, like an Ardenweald at all. It's this is what you, this is what made you the servant that we we assume you will be. I keep saying servant because I can't think of a better word for it. I don't literally mean you're going to be fetching people slippers or whatever. I mean that they, the their life is one of service. Well, I mean if you if you mean uh, fetching slippers as in souls, then yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> but I mean, I don't, don't want that, that to know what you wear on your feet at night, man. But that is that is interesting. And then you have Revendreth, which is the souls that could be redeemed but carry with them the weight of. Uh, I, corruption is just like, such a simplified term, but it's the weight of sin, right? The weight of terrible well, literally choices. Pride. He uses the words pride and hubris several times. And it is, you know, hubris, overweening pride, the sin of putting yourself ahead of everything else. Yeah. Which... Whether, whether it's, you know, putting yourself ahead of everything else the way that Garash did. Where Garash, I would say he did, in fact, put himself ahead of everything else, but he did it because he assumed that what he wanted was best for everyone. 
Yeah, like his choices were awful, but he he in his brain he would well. And we talk about this a lot. The villain is often the hero of their own story because that's that's we all are the hero of our own story. But it seemed to fit with him. And I, I had this conversation with a couple people recently about Garrosh in particular after this short came out, where like it makes sense that that's where he'd go because everything he did, every choice he made, yes, it was awful. But he believed that he was doing it for all of the right reasons. But if he, that's the case, if we accept that that argument is valid, if we accept that that's why he should be in Revendreth, then Arthas should be in Revendreth. I think Arthas should have been in Revendreth as well. I don't think he, he would have gone if, directly to the mall. Because, if Arthas should have been in Revendreth, then what we saw in the Bastion short wasn't just a mistake. It was a breaking of the cycle. It, it was a crime. It was. Throwing him into the mall without his soul which, being weighed. Which makes sense, though, right? Like, it makes sense which, with why that happened and then the following stuff that happens after it. And, and some, again, spoilers, but that's why he's a conflicted servant of the mall. Because when you see him, he's not a Kyrian. He's a moss-sworn Kyrian. And the paragon that he uh, it was, was tutelaged under is Maw Sworn. Like, they th- they're making horrible choices. They're breaking that cycle. They're feeding into whatever's happening right now. And, yeah, there's that whole conflicted thing with Uther where he's not exactly... And they, t- they talk about it where it's like, yeah, he's different. He's not like the rest of us in this. He's still wounded or whatever. But I find that interesting. The, the, most, the most interesting thing I could think of after seeing... Revendreth come out, and this is something that I think you touched on a little bit, and I kind of want to go back to, is that now that we've seen all four of these these zones, all four of these layers of existence, the one thing that jumps out to me is that I think all of our preconceived notions about what the cycle is and how things work might have been wrong. Like, and, and to go back to the Maw thing, I think that is a very salient point uh, where you talk about you don't think anybody goes directly to the mall or supposed to go directly to the mall? I think I agree with that. And part of it, I think, is is going back to what we talked about last week. When you're in the mall, what you're seeing are fragments. They're pieces of souls. They're not complete souls. Even when you find the soul wells, when you go to any of these places, when you encounter any of these not even non-hostile entities, um, a bunch of the stuff that you encounter in Torghast that are... are, are oddly non-hostile they're all fragments they're all like shards of a person's soul they're not a complete entity which would stand to reason that if they're going through these other zones first or these other pieces of the machine of death and having these pieces ripped from them but then still fail and being thrown into the maw afterwards then they're not a complete entity right when they get thrown in and i think that makes a whole lot of sense uh, it becomes sort of like the obelette of souls, right? Like, that's where everything goes that you don't want it to be. Um, and it makes sense with Revendreth. And we see this, like, Revendreth is, I think, the first one when you're doing the, not even as their covenant choice, but when you're just doing the standard, like, playthrough while leveling up, where you get to see the trial. And we talked about this last week, and I, th- I think the week before, maybe, uh, the trial where you get to see the Chamberlain oversee uh, the condemning or raising of a soul uh, that has shed all of its sins, that has willfully given of itself all of its pride, all of its hubris, it's all gone away. And 
the accuser steps in and stops it from being thrown into the mall. But I think that's the first time we see it, because I don't even think in Bastion they talk about it. Like, they don't talk about what happens to a failed aspirant. They just stay around, right? They try again later. Like, there is no discarding of them. Am I, am it I... depends. There's actually... Some of the aspirants actually turn into the Forsworn. Sure, but I'm saying before that happened, right? Before the Forsworn were a thing. No, no, no. There was, there's a whole thing about it. Like, when you first get to Bastion, before you ever see, like, the, the whole idea of the Maw and any of it, they, the, that's something that happens as part of the... Let's, let's see, Disciple Nicolon was a Kyrian aspirant who could not pass the cleansing rite as his love for his partner was too strong. Unwilling to forget about the love of his life, he decides that he can find another way. His skin and wings darken, and he becomes one of the fallen. Uh, Iridia tells him that he must leave before he is seen by other Kyrian. Uh, and so I think that the, that's it's it's been a problem this whole time. There are aspirants who fail. Some of them fail and try again, but some, like there's that point where you fail and you give up. Like, I can't do this. That's the difference. It's sort of the opposite of what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, like with the, with the ones in in Revendreth who are like, I refuse. The more you try and make me let go, the more I won't. It's actually kind of the same process with the Kyrian. You see it. There are the people in the in the Kyrian who, even without the whole Mossworn bit, because there are ones who are who are forsworn. They're they're just not. They don't serve the jailer. They don't work for the Maw, but they're not able to let go. And that the most one is the most one are anybody who serves the jailer. It's not just Kyrian. It's anybody. There's there's more sworn from from Meldraxis. There's more sworn from Ardenweald even. Um, but the Kyrians, the Forsworn and the most one are not the same deal. They most like their many Forsworn have come in under the banner of them all and, and serve it, but not every single one of them. Like when you see uh, Nicolon fail, he isn't like evil he just can't he can't let go and that's the difference he's actually it's very similar to what we see in the short with uther okay so it's it's interesting and i don't know how much of it is like if we'll learn more as we go through i've, I've done bastion a couple times but but even then they're not it, they're not discarded to the the maw though right no, like they're not no. they're not sent there they're still they're just they're relegated they're to either somewhere. They're they're there. They're they're still in Bastion or in somewhere, but they're not in the Maw. The whole thing. Like, let me see if I can find the quest. But I think I think that's the interesting though, is because I think the only one of the four covenants that actually banishes souls to the Maw is Revendreth. Yeah, I think that that's the point though. Is like if you because that's what Revendreth is for. Revendreth is there to possibly determine. You know, can you be saved? Can we fix you? I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't know for a fact that nobody goes straight to the mall. Maybe some do. I, I but just feels if if Garrosh didn't, then it feels like almost nobody would. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing to consider. I mean, if you think about it, very few people are Goldon who knows full well what he's doing and does it anyway. Who does these things with absolutely no scales over his eyes, no idea that he's serving the greater good. No, none of that. Like if you look at the major villains of the Warcraft setting, I mean the people who've been, you know, end game bosses, very few of them are Gul'dan levels of evil. Gul'dan might be the most significantly evil character in Warcraft ever because he is like the only one who doesn't have a justification. Yeah. Like if you think about every like 
Ragnaros is just Ragnaros. He's a fire elemental. What do you want from him? This is what he does. He burns things. Uh, the various dragons corrupted by the old gods, you know, driven mad. Uh, what about Nerzul? Think of, like, Nerzul, not, you know, at least Nerzul as Nerzul was just trying to save his people as best he knew how, and he was misled and, and used by the Legion. And then afterwards, like, a, a, if you look at like his his role in Warcraft 2, he's just trying to find his people a new place to live because thanks to the mistakes he's made, his world is becoming lifeless. And they, they won't be able to stay there. Once once Fell comes through to a world, it, it can be it's very hard for that world to recover because it, it's a soul-destroying thing. Um so, and I think that's one of the problems Azeroth is having right now, in quite a fact. Uh, so, yeah, Nerzul, at least then, then he, you know, he, when, you, when he becomes a Lich King, I mean, they, they literally torture him for possibly eons because the way time works in the Twisting Nether is completely messed up. So they torture him for, like, a long time, and then they stick him in a magic suit of armor, and he's now this undead monstrosity. I don't think at this point you can look at his thought process and really comprehend it. Like, you know, he's been through something that is very hard to for most people to grapple with. My soul was tortured for an extremely long period of time. Then I was stuck in this magical undeath armor. And now I can feel the thoughts and existence of dead things. It's it's very hard to understand. And I think we're going to learn more about that in this expansion, in fact, with the whole Helm of Domination stuff and oh, yeah. stuff we're learning. So we'll, we'll learn more about what Nerzul exactly went through. So as the Lich King, Nerzul is very difficult to understand. Arthas is pretty simple to understand. Arthas, he's one of those guys, who, the Sin of Pride's very big on him. He very much confuses himself and his own personal feelings for the good of his people. And he wanted to do what was good for his people. He did, but he didn't know what it was. He wasn't capable of stepping back. He took it all very personally. And he took it personally, not in the way of every person's death is, is, is a pain to me. I care for all my people and want to help them. He took it personally in the, this is an insult to me. This is me. You're, you're not just killing my people. The fact that you're doing it is a, is a stain on me and I'll, I'll hurt you for it. You're, you know, you're doing something to me here. It's that level of selfishness. That's Arthas's overwhelming sin as Arthas, as a Lich King, very much obsessed with proving that he was right. And again, that's a, that's a him thing. Like, what's the thing? This sounds like a you problem. Yeah. Yep. That's Arthas in a nutshell. Every, every mistake and, and sin and crime that Arthas committed, he came, he committed from a, from a place of mistaking what was important to him to what was universally important, even as the Lich King. But, but Gul'dan never once made the mistake of thinking he was serving anyone but himself. So I guess that's a really good question. I, uh, just to, to sort of feed off of that. If we think nobody goes to the Maw, but Gul'dan seems to be that one exception, like, he doesn't seem to fit the pattern of all the other even awful people we've seen. I'm like, not saying there aren't other awful people who do that kind of stuff. It's just that Gul'dan's... Well, what we've seen. His scope is so massive. Like, other people who are selfish, you know, they, they steal some money or they, they're just jerks. But Gul'dan takes that level of self-absorbed selfishness to, to a place where, you know, there are real-life people we see do this kind of stuff. It's rare, but we see it. You just don't see a lot of it in World of Warcraft because World of Warcraft ultimately is something a lot of people worked on and wrote. 
And people who are writing evil often try and justify it. Yeah. And that's not something that you get as much in real life. There are a lot of people who are just evil jerks. They're just selfish because it, it benefits them and they don't care about anybody else. But that's a very hard motivation to, to work as a writer, as a crafter of a story. That's a, that's a difficult motivation to make work. Just, oh, he does it because he's a selfish jerk. It's like, okay, it's boring. But it's still something that happens. Gul'dan is that kind of person. Gul'dan, everything Gul'dan did, he did for himself. And he knew he was doing it for himself. And he knew what it so, was doing to other people. So, I mean, maybe people like that go straight to the Maw. But I think that they would still be put in the judgment cycle. Arthas doesn't get to be judged by the Arbiter. They yeah, just he's, take he's Arthas and... They take Arthas and they throw him in the maw. They don't take him to the Arbiter. They don't put him in front of the process. They just toss him in. And that's interesting compared to, say, someone like Garrosh, who's, who probably is – I'm don't. i going to be up front. I don't think Garrosh is as bad as Arthas. In fact, that not just because the stuff he did, he did for a reason, but I also think that stuff that, that Arthas did without even thinking about it is stuff that Garrosh would, would not necessarily do. When we see Garrosh in Cataclysm, uh, one of the most interesting and compelling things about it is we see him in Stone Talon mm -hmm. after one of his commanders has used a mana bomb type weapon. And this is before Theramore. Has, one of his commanders has used a, 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 an empower, incredibly powerful explosive device on a druid school. And when Garrosh finds out about this, he basically kills the guy. And yeah, he murders like, him you know, for fighting without honor. He's, he's like, you know, do, do, do you think I, I wage war against non-combatants and that's the interesting thing about garage is that he had a line the line shifted but he had one mm -hmm. um and even if you look at theramore he let them evacuate theramore i mean he didn't it wasn't a full evacuation obviously and if it weren't for uh oh bloody heck uh ronin if it weren't for ronin it would have been much worse but he still kind of, it's like he, he wanted to kill the leadership. He wasn't particularly interested in just killing a whole bunch of Alliance for no reason. The problem Garrosh had was that he was very intelligent, a very smart, a very good tactician, but he was lazy. And he wanted to go for like, I don't know if lazy is even the right word. Garrosh Hellscream, he kind of reminds me of an arms warrior in that, you know, everyone always thinks of arms warriors. Like the, the whole class description is all about how arms warriors are super... Uh, tactical and like weapon masters, but arms warriors want to hit you once really freaking hard and then have that be, you know, as close to it as they can. Yeah. Arms warriors were the guys back in vanilla that wanted to have a, a shaman with them with wind fury. So they could just nail them once with the, with the, like that Arcanite Reaper and the fight would be over. Mm -hmm. They want to hit you with a mortal strike and, and make it that. Okay. Now you can't even heal. You can't even get back from this. Garage's, the way he plans military strikes is very much like that. I want to take out the entire line's leadership with one go. Okay, it didn't work. I want to tap into this other enormously powerful thing and take out the entire line's leadership in one go. That's every plan. I want to just wipe out the alliance, like the, the night elves entirely with one move. I'm going to unleash these weird animals from Northrend in one go. That's, he's always going for the knockout punch. He's always going for that one big attack. And that's well, where a lot of his problems come from. A lot of the quote unquote the atrocities he commits, he commits because he thinks, well, it'll just be the one big attack and it'll be over. Like he wants to win the fight fast. He doesn't want to have to have a prolonged conflict because he's absorbed something that I think a lot of people, a lot of players don't get about World of Warcraft, about Warcraft in general. The Horde 
sucks at war. Yep. The Horde is terrible at war. They don't win. They won once. And how did they win? They won with a sneak attack. One big punch. And before anybody that's, says anything, that's it's accurate. If you go back and you look at from the very beginning, even when like the, the fall of, of Stormwind, all that stuff, like those were all sneak attacks. The only and, reason the Stormwind fell was because Garona assassinated King Lane in his throne room. Yep. Because he trusted her. And that's the only way that they managed the Horde managed to win that fight. The Horde tried to win in, in Warcraft 2 and got there despite coming up with a sneak attack that they managed to get their way through Altarak and, and and get up there to attack uh Lordaeron, they still lost and they lost because one of their own, namely Gul'dan, betrayed them at the last second to go but grab for power. I th- I think we're I think we're deviating a little far away from Shadowlands here at this point. So no, I think, I, I think it back. no I I do think it, it value matters here because Garrosh absorbed that lesson. Garrosh is actually an extremely smart student of what he's studying. And we, we used to have this conversation a lot, me and Anne, about Thrall versus Garrosh. And how Thrall didn't really understand the people he was trying to lead because he hadn't been raised among them. Mm-hmm. Garrosh understood, understood orc culture, especially post-Horde orc culture. He'd grown up in it. He'd observed it. He'd been an outsider and then he embraced it and he understood to, and he's very, he's a, he's a really good, I think the thing he says in Warcraft and war crimes is really interesting here. At one point when talking to, to, to Anduin, Anduin thinks that Garrosh is comparing him to, to Arthas because they're both, you know, they're, they have similar appearances and they have similar life stories and that they're like the, you know, the prince of a major nation, but he wasn't comparing Anduin to Arthas. He was comparing himself to Arthas, and he says so. I think you know he goes, you know, I'm nothing like Arthas. I think I am, is what he says, and that's important to me when we're talking about Revendreth and we're talking about the Maw and we're talking about these shorts. Is what we're seeing in them is these cycles getting broken. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm going to shut up so you can talk some because I've been going for like I think ten minutes now. <laughs> no, but I, I think that I think that is sort of like the important thing, and I think that's sort of like the thread that binds through all of them, right? It's not just the individual cycles, but it's it's we've been told that the machine of death was broken, you know, however long ago, and that that's what's causing this problem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we should even use that term anymore. Machine of death, or that it was broken, because I don't think sure, it's. I, I don't think it's accurate. I, I agree. And I've been I that's something I've been saying since the very beginning is I don't think it's as simple as something just snapping. I think it's been a slow erosion of the process. And I think that's what we're seeing. And there's all these things that we've been given, right? Like in not just from this like the shorts, but also looking at some of the stuff we saw with like the uh the infiltration prologue with that book that we found and the idea that there might be some uh link here between uh the dreadlords and Sire Denathrius, which if that's the case, then how long has this been slowly been eroded away? Uh has this been since the very, very beginning? Because again, Sire Denathrius, he's the first. He's the one that sired all of the other Venthyr. And if he's been doing this for that long how, does that mean that everything's been that the system was always going to fail that like there's all one of the things I think is, is interesting is when you're in Orbos, you start to talk to with um, I can't remember what they're called, like the counselors. Um, they're not 
not the brokers, but the actual like people that are like the hand of the arbiter, the eyes of the arbiter, the mouth of the arbiter. Like one of the things they always talk about is purpose, and that is that's what gives meaning. And as long as you adhere to the purpose, everything's good. Uh, and that they want to figure out what your purpose is. And that's when they start figuring out that you're a mall walker and start to, you know, that you can activate these these things and it goes from there. But I find that really interesting that even these beings who are in this sort of realm that understand how kind of the stuff works, maybe not exactly, only adhere to a purpose. It's almost like the light in a way to me where it's like they understand this destination is where we need to go but how we get there might not be exactly the same as everybody else or maybe it doesn't actually matter as long as we get to that point uh it's very machiavellian as far as how it's how it's presented at least in my opinion uh but i think we start to see that a little bit with all of these shorts like in bastion their purpose is duty it's it's service to you know what they're what eventually they're going to be doing as Kyrian like that's that's Bastion's purpose and as long as they adhere to that everything is fine and the ones that can't adhere to that they become the Forsworn and they're just sort of like there uh, Ardenweld the purpose is rebirth it's purposes bringing things back into life whether it's on another planet or Azeroth or whatever the case is and if it can't than we've already seen with the anima drought when things can't be pushed through that cycle or can't complete it or don't do it uh, maybe fast enough. I, I can't imagine that this is the first time they've ever taken a dream pod and sort of used the anima from it for something else because all of these creatures, all of these things in that biome had to come from somewhere. All that anima had to be repurposed from somewhere. Like, where does it all come from? And, and like the other zones, like we talk about like Maldraxxus, where their purpose is the defense of the Shadowlands, but we even see that that's starting to subsume a little bit. And also, as you learn about the houses, each of those houses had a different purpose that fed into this greater ideal, but those processes are breaking down. They've been breaking down for we don't know how long. We don't know how long it's been since the houses started disappearing. We have a rough idea, but like time is weird. Uh, and then you get to Revendreth, where their purpose is to remove the weight of sin and hubris uh, and pride from these souls. And then we don't know what happens after. They either get raised as Venthyr uh, or sent to the mall. We know that much. But did they possibly get pushed somewhere else? Like, Garrosh is a great example. If he was completely purged of all of his sins, if that was something, of his hubris, of his pride, if that was something that could be stripped of him, the weight of those decisions moved, would he move to Maldraxxus then? Would that be something where he would fit in? Do they move souls? Because when you're in Maldraxxus, when you choose it as your covenant, you see broken souls. You actually, one of the things you do is resurrect them. You put pieces of anima back into them to make them whole again. So, like, they definitely have a, a, a thing where things get broken to the point where they can't use them. You know, we don't know what happens to all those souls, that anima in the great arena before people are parsed to houses. Like, it's an interesting concept to me because the Shadowlands is starting to become more complicated than I think we ever assumed it was. 
and I kind of really like that. I like this idea. Yeah, there's sort of an ecology of death. Yeah, yeah. You call it that. Like not just an economy of death, which is what we thought it was going to be, like soul trading and anima and so forth, but an actual ecology of it where it provides sustenance and, and existence to these different realms in different ways. So yeah, there's there's that to it as well. And and I find that utterly fascinating because now we take some of the things that have been said and we can throw I, I want to say throw them out, but we can view them as oversimplifications. Like, I agree. I don't think we can call it the machine of death anymore because it's not. It's not a simple thing. It's not. I remember way, way long ago, we talked about these four zones before we knew anything else. We knew kind of what their purpose was, but we didn't know exactly. And we speculated, and this is way back with like even Anne in the mix. We speculated that maybe you go from one to the other and there's this whole thing that that you go through like a processing plant before whatever your ultimate fate is happens and i don't think it's that simple anymore i think that we've been proven that it's not and i i like that i like that because now we start looking at it and it makes me think of what other planes that are out there because that's the other thing you notice when you're in Orbos. And I recommend that all players do this. When you get to the Ring of Transference, which is like the main area that you go to to go to each of the major zones, but it's also the major flight path. It's where you come in and out of Orbos. Look to the sky and look out at how many doors there are because that's what you're summoning when you go to one of these areas. You're summoning a gate that leads you to Maldraxxus, that leads you to Bastion, that leads you to Ardenwell, that takes you to Revendreth. You're pulling one down from the sky of infinite doors. So I like this idea that it's an ecology of death and not a machine, not a simplified machine, because if it was simplified, why would there be hundreds of thousands of millions or however many gateways or realms that there are because everything has a purpose in some capacity. Even the other side or the other side has a purpose. It's attached to Ardenweld, but that's Bwamsamdi's domain, the domain, like it's, it's his, his area, but even it has a purpose. And we learned about that in shadows rising where it's a safeguard. It's, a isolated pocket of reality where these souls go of his followers or people that he deems worthy or, or people that have made a bargain with him, whatever the case is that they're safe. They're exempted from, you know, going through the cycle of rebirth with Ardenweld. Uh, they're exempted from being judged by the arbiter. That's whether they're, they're not part of this, this little like ecology. They're, they're their own little biome. And I haven't been in the other side yet because I can't get in there for whatever reason. I just don't have that luck. Um, but I find that fascinating because how many other places like that are there? What does that actually mean for the Shadowlands? How big is the Shadowlands? How complex is it? Well, here's like one thing to think about when we're talking about that. Um, one of the, the dungeons in, in Shadowlands uh, is called the... Uh, I want to say Miss of Tirasakt. Yeah, the uh, one of the Ardenweld ones, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because the whole premise of it is the the Drust in Ardenweald aren't necessarily working for the Jailer. They're actually just a consequence of what the Jailer has done. Mm-hmm. Because the Drust, the Drust live in Thros, and it's called the Nightmare Realm of Thros because the 
the Drust are cursed, and they they are they are outside the cycle of life and death. This is new information, by the way. We didn't know this before. Uh, whatever they did to to allow them to keep fighting when they were dying uh, against the people of Calteris. Uh, Sorry, I couldn't think of the word Calteris there for a second. Um, whatever they did basically cursed them so that they now exist outside the cycle of life and death. They're trying to basically invade Ardenweald to hijack the mechanism of rebirth. Yeah, because they can't they can't rebirth they can't make themselves live again. They can only shove themselves yeah. into to constructs. Into, yeah, into into like wooden metal bodies. So they're trying to basically get themselves reborn through Ardenweald. That's what they're trying to do. It's it's not the jailer's plan at all. They don't care about the jailer and the jailer doesn't care about them. They're just taking advantage of the situation. And that's think about like, we didn't even think about stuff like that, that we were going to see stuff like that. It's not the jailer's play is actually not just, it's not just the jailer who is the mastermind behind everything bad that's happening. The, whatever the jailer's done has, has essentially. It's created caused, opportunity. Not just an opportunity. It's like any natural disaster. It creates other disasters by its nature. Like, you know, half the Western United States is on fire. That means the smoke is covering the entire freaking continent at this point. It's like how earthquakes can cause tsunamis and things like that. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like right now, I mean, right now, I go outside my house and I can smell stuff going, the, the, the smoke from California. It's in my, it's, it's at my house. I live in Edmonton. I am literally thousands of kilometers away from California. That's the kind of stuff we're seeing in Shadowlands. In Ardenweald, for example, the, the, the Drust an invasion is a consequence of Ardenweald being too weak to defend itself. In Maldraxxus... Or Maldraxxus being too weak to defend against the incursion from the Drust. Well, yeah, Maldraxxus isn't there. Like there's the, the, the people of Maldraxxus are too busy invading, say, Bastion, or, or fighting, fighting amongst each War. other yeah. Yeah, to, to be defending the Shadowlands against invasion. And so that means that, you know, we're seeing realms like, like Thros, which is not a Shadowland. It's outside of the cycle. Ardenweald is not outside the cycle. Ardenweald is the cycle. Ardenweald mm -hmm. is the cycle of life and death. Thros is not. And that's... The Shadowlands are all part of that cycle, that dance between life and death. They're all part of it. That in of itself is interesting to see how it, how it is manifesting, how it is working out. Like I said before, the ecology of it. Each realm has its own ecology. Um, I think you're the one to mention before how there's like a giant crater in Revendreth where the light is like blasting in. Yep. Like, why is that happening? I mean, the light kills them. Why is it there? Why is it like searing its way into that realm? So it's not just like the Bastion's got the void invasion. Revendreth's got a light invasion. And, why one that's, is that and one that's being weaponized too, right? And, like they're and, both being yeah, weaponized. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not important though. For, the, for what I was about to say, you were talking before about the whole, um, the whole uh, book, the possible connection to the Dreadlords. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that one a lot because one of the things that comes to mind is there's a, the old saying is you know they've gone native. When you have say an intelligence agent working inside of a organization and they their loyalties change, sure whoever's writing that book is writing back to their master with a sunny report of how everything's going according to plan. And, you know, we're getting in and we're doing what, you know, what we said we'd do. That's exactly the kind of thing you write. If you've started to get twisted mm -hmm. and 
there's no reason to assume that the 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 forces of death are immune to this kind of infiltration that they're trying to do themselves. And it's quite possible that the dreadlords have are part of that. They might have been themselves infiltrated as they're infiltrating everything else. The whole idea, what's the, the old saying about the abyss? It eventually it yeah. stares back at you. Or you're, yeah, and, and and they even say that the Void Lords, it's dangerous to pull this kind of move with the Void Lords because the Void Lords see all possibilities. But that you know, the fact that both the Void and the Light are erupting into Shadowlands, I mean, yes, the the native the natives of the Shadowlands are dealing with them, and like you said, they're weaponizing it. But it's more interesting to me to think about the fact that the Shadowlands views itself as unassailable. And you see that all the time. When told that the Maw has gotten forth, that the, the power of the Maw is being used in Azeroth, the Kyrian can't believe it because the Maw is, inv- is, is inescapable. And, you know, the Shadowlands are inviolate, except they're not. Clearly they're not. You don't need a defense force if you're inviolate. And that defense force is clearly not doing very good. Mm-hmm. Aldraxxus is not functioning. I think a lot of this, when trying to shift the system like this around, it's much easier to break it than it is to escape it. Yeah, and that's because, it, again, that, that purpose, right? Like, it's if everything is adhering to a single point, if everything is adhering to a single line of thinking, then it's easy to snap the twig. It's easy to break the concrete path. Um, well, I mean... To go back to that machine idea, if you have a machine and you start smashing it with a wrench, you know, you knock some gears out of place, then it starts to break down. But it'll keep working as long as it can. Mm-hmm. And when gears start falling out, it won't necessarily immediately just stop. Uh, you just suddenly, now it's throwing sparks. Or I mean, how many, time, how many of us have in their lives had the experience of an old car? It still runs, but it makes a really weird noise. Or yeah, I can still drive it, but I can't turn the air conditioner on. Yeah, or or when I mentioned like the the whole idea of like a, a wheel bearing starting to go on a car, you hear it way before it ever becomes a problem. That doesn't mean that it's you know it doesn't fail immediately. It's a slow degradation. But even when it is failing, a lot of times it fails in ways that are not predictable and still that don't prevent the vehicle from getting from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. But they do prevent you from, like I said, running the air conditioner or, you know, you know, my windshield wiper fluid, like it's just continuously leaking now. So I have to like refill it every day or, you know, what, you know, why is the windshield wipers stay, stay straight up like that? I, I have to reach out and push it down. L- little things like that, that kind of add up after a while. You know, I, what was it like, I remember having a car when I was a kid, when I was like 17, that I could drive it at 30 miles per hour. And I could drive it at 60 miles per hour. I could not drive it between 30 and 60 because it would start to shake. Yep. 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 And it would shake and shake and shake and shake. But if you got it up above 60, it would stop shaking. And it's like, as I'm telling you this, you're probably thinking that sounds horribly dangerous. And it probably was horribly dangerous, but I drove it that way for two years. 
there because it, same thing. It like I had, I had, a, I had a thing where one of my my front linkages was going, and I could feel it whenever I would take a break. Like whenever I would hit the brakes, my car would shake, uh, especially if I was going above forty miles an hour. But it didn't prevent me from going from point A to point B, and I was too poor to fix it. Uh, so I just dealt with it. And it w- was it horribly dangerous? Yes. Did I still survive and and you know push it to the to that point? Yes. And I think that's an apt. Uh, comparison for what's happening with the Shadowlands. Yeah, and you you mentioned the purpose. That was interesting to me because, like, the various attendants and stuff in Oribos, one of the things they talk about constantly is the purpose. And some of them are starting to doubt the purpose because why is this happening if the purpose is valid? Like, you know, who came up... Like, they don't even know who came up with the purpose. They assume the Arbiter did. But they don't know. They don't know because, I mean, you know, if if someone told the Arbiter this is your purpose, the Arbiter didn't tell them that. But there's just, I mean, a lot to this. I, it's getting kind of late, unfortunately. So we probably, do we actually want to try and do any of the emails that we got? No, or? I think I think we got about five minutes left before we need to call it a uh, call it a day. So I mean, I think we should probably finish our final thoughts on what we think with the with Shadowlands here. So I guess now that we've seen all of the afterlives, combining that with our experiences in the beta so far. What do you think the most earth-shattering? I, I shouldn't even say earth-shattering. What do you think has been the the reveal that has sort of changed your perspective the most going into the expansion? Sorry, you caught me right in the middle of yawn. <laughs> I was trying not to yawn, and then I, my body was like, "No, we're tired, yawn." And just as you were like, "What change?" I'm like, "Oh can't, God, you no!" You can't, you can't, uh, you can't uh, go against the purpose. But yeah, no. What, what do you what do you think is the most the thing that has caused you to shift perspective the most. My perspective hasn't shifted. It's just one of the things I try really hard to do is always be cautious in in what I say and in what I think about something. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't shifted my perspective because my perspective was, I don't know. And my perspective now is I really don't know. Um, But like, I think it's interesting to watch the pieces come into place. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about today is very much about that concept of, in a way, it's very similar to that idea of, you know, maybe it is your imperfection, your 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 free will that allows you to defy cosmically calculated odds. The entire Shadowlands seems to be based around the concept of you you have to do what you have to do. Like there's no place in this cosmic view for individual choice, for you know, look at what they do to people who try to make a choice. Like Garrosh in that dungeon being, you know, the old reliable that's somebody who refuses to to accede to the plan that has been put forth. You see that with the with the, the Forsworn Kyrian. You you see that with Maldraxxus, which is currently on fire, and you see that with Ardenweald to a degree. Although Ardenweald is probably the best because the people there aren't really dragooned into anything. They're just part of the cycle. They go there, they rest, and then they go back. Well, but except they seeing- kind of are because with the the Wild Hunt, they're getting they're getting pushed to be part of that now. But that's that's the problem. That's what's being caused by the breakdown of the of the of these norms. As these norms, they're not sustainable unless everything is going perfectly. The Shadowlands, as a place, is very much you're getting to see what happens when a system is stressed. What happens when it, it can't function the way it was supposed to, and there's no room for that. You can't plan for everything. I think that's one of the most interesting things about it for me. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, that's been, I think, for me, the most interesting 
idea that's I, I don't want to say shifted, but I think it's expanded is really more accurate for for my own personal take is that this idea that the Shadowlands existed for any one thing, I think that's the part being mutated or or evolving is the most important thing for me. The Shadowlands isn't a singular thing anymore. It's bigger in scope. And I think it's one of those interesting things because we talk a lot about like unreliable narrators. We talk about that with Chronicle a lot. Uh, we talk about that with Magni. Uh, we talk about that with a lot of the stuff we've we've had over the years where this is written from a perspective of somebody who this is what they believe, but it might not necessarily be 100% true. And the Shadowlands is sort of like the embodiment of that to me now, because up to this point, all the stuff that we know about the Shadowlands is either things that we knew from doing Lich King stuff back during the Lich King days, which wasn't a whole lot, uh, comparatively speaking. Uh, we And then what we've been told in things like uh, publications or, or short stories or things like that from Blizzard themselves. But even those have to be taken with a grain of salt. And as this is evolving, as we're getting more information, as we're spending more time here that's becoming more and more apparent that the Shadowlands isn't a simple machine. It is a huge monstrosity that we barely understand and also true to the denizens of this this particular realm of existence barely understand. Like, you talk to the average rank and file of any of the uh, the zones, and they have an idea of what they're supposed to do, whether it's in Revendreth where you talk with the accuser and the accuser, you know, tell Sire Denathrius, you've you've violated our purpose. What's your purpose? Is that the only thing that was was there? Who told you that that was your purpose? How did you get to that point? Same thing with Ardenwald when you're dealing with uh, Moonberry, I think is her name or his name. I can't remember uh, their name. We'll just go with that. Um, the same thing in Bastion, like the same thing in Maldraxxus, when you're talking even to Lady Vosh, or I'm sorry, Baroness Vosh at this point. Like, it's very interesting to me to see how this core concept has evolved to, we were told that this is sort of the machine of death, but I don't think that's accurate. It's bigger than that. It's more evolved than that. And I think as this expansion goes on, we're going to start to discover that maybe the Shadowlands actually forgot what it was to begin with. That maybe the denizens here don't really remember, because even the people that know, the, the Pantheon of Death, they're not talking to you about it. The Queen doesn't tell you what's up. You know, the Prime uh, Primus from Maldraxxus, he's missing. Uh, the... I don't remember what the, the the grand leader of the Bastion is called, but like you don't really interact with them at that type of level. Archon, I think. Yeah, the Archon. Thank you. So like the Archon isn't really telling you what's up and what that was happening. You know, they were here. They were here, but you know, do they do they even remember that far back? Uh, and then Revendreth, Sardanathrius. Well, we already know he's crooked, and he's not going to tell you anything useful. It's it's interesting to me how this is evolving from. I thought this was going to be so cut and dry to how big this has gotten. So, and I think that's that's my points. I, I, anything else you want to bring up as far as that goes? I think that was a, a pretty good discussion on the Shadowlands. Hopefully everybody at home enjoyed it. <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're in a good place right now. I mean, there's still a lot to learn, but... Oh, there's so much. <laughs> 
So I hope you guys enjoyed that, and uh, thank you very much, because Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Um, I do apologize if you've had questions in the pipeline that we haven't been able to get to, uh, but hopefully you've enjoyed some of the wild tangents we've gotten on and some of the deeper aspects that we're starting to unfold from what's being given to us for Shadowlands. Uh, but please continue to send those questions in. We'll get to them as we can. Uh, and again, that's podcast at blizzardwatch.com or through our one of our multiple Discord channels. Uh, and please let us know. And also, if you're listening to this uh, and you're listening to this after this goes live through general population, if you enjoy what we do, please consider uh, supporting us on Patreon. The only way we get to do this is with support from you at home. Uh, even everything you give, even if it's just a dollar a month, does help. Uh, I'm not going to do this too often, but I know times are tough. And, and something somebody said to me on Twitter actually resonated very much with me. Uh, and it said that everybody's been having a real hard time lately. And we get that uh, in our own personal struggles. Uh, but somebody and multiple people have told us that you guys find comfort and enjoyment in this uh, podcast and the other podcast for a couple hours a week. Uh, so if you can and you enjoy it and we do bring you that comfort, maybe kick us a, a, a dollar or two and uh, do Blizzard Watch Patreon and we can keep doing this and maybe provide even more content for you. Uh, but thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.